Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Monday, February 24th. We begin with a conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. We look at the current situation surrounding the railway protests being dismantled in Ontario and the impact of Tech Resources' announcement that they will not be going ahead with their proposed $20 billion frontier project. Next, we continue the conversation on railway protests with Dwayne Bratt, Professor of Political Science at Mount Royal University. Professor Bratt explains why this issue is not going away anytime soon. Then we check in with 770CHQR reporter Aurelio Perry, who tees up a very busy day ahead for City Council, which could see them tackling the issue of how to deal with the questionable expenses of War II councillor Joe Magliocca. This one is a success story five years in the making. We meet one of the pioneers behind Remat, Calgary's only mattress recycling facility, as they celebrate a major milestone. And finally, he's a Zamboni driver who found himself first star in the Carolina Hurricanes' victory over the Toronto Maple Leafs this past weekend. Dave Rowe has the story of this unlikely hero whose NHL dream became a reality. 610 on your Monday morning, the rail blockade in Mohawk Territory in eastern Ontario has not been cleared despite the deadline from police and CN Rail and despite word from the Prime Minister Friday that the blockades must come down. Well, that was the topic of the day yesterday on the West Block with Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stevenson, and she joins us now to further the conversation. Hi, Mercedes. Hey, how are you? Well, tough day for us here in Alberta as we wake up to to hear, of course, the blockades are still in place, but more so now that uh, Frontier Tech has pulled its application, you know, and it's all really relates back to the blockades now that are still in place. Yeah, that was, uh, I, I saw that report last night and we were able to confirm it. And it was interesting because we knew the federal government had to make a decision on that by Friday of this week. And we were just talking around it in the office last week saying, you know, which way do you think this is going to go? Uh, it's such a huge project financially, but beyond that, it's a huge project symbolically mm-hmm. for Alberta and for federal relations. And uh, obviously, some tough news for a lot of people out there today. And, and now you have the two sides kind of spinning their various versions of why it happened. But uh, it'll sure be a busy uh, and very tense week, I think, in federal politics. Tense week for sure, Mercedes, and I think the conversation has to be uh, moved toward confidence in our country because regardless of what the reason is, outside looking in, if you want to spend some big bucks uh, developing energy, maybe Canada's not the place if you don't want to take a risk. Well, and it was it was interesting to see what Tech said in their letter, where they talked about the difficulty with uncertainty, where there is a desire to move uh, towards environmental protection, but at the same time, the need still for fossil fuels. And how do you balance those things and come up with a policy that puts down clear lines? And, and the Liberals had actually criticized the Conservatives because they said it wasn't very clear um, how you got a project approved and that it wasn't environmental enough and that they wanted companies to apply and to get approved. So they set out new rules. The Conservatives and a lot of companies said it's too much red tape. The Liberals talked about taking some of this down. Uh, Tech had cleared all of that bureaucratic red tape, and it was now up to the federal cabinet to make this decision. But in the current political environment, a lot of people are wondering, would that decision really be simply about the project, or was it going to be a much larger reflection with the blockades we've seen, with the protests? 
um, and with the sort of interlinkage between indigenous reconciliation and the environment. Mind you, Tech had done extensive consultation, which they've been praised for, mm-hmm. with indigenous communities around it, um, getting people on board for that mine and, and offering jobs and employment and, and all kinds of things. Um, so it certainly really puts front and center this whole issue of it, will people still invest in the oil sands? And beyond that, um, I was talking to somebody very senior in the business community last night who told me they're very worried about foreign investment if the blockades aren't resolved soon or if they keep popping up because one of the basics people look for in an economy is literally do the trains run on time right, yeah, yeah. And, and if there's questions about that that can shake confidence and people still see canada largely as a great place to invest but certainly the business community is starting to get really concerned about what's going on let's talk about the blockades in a sec but just to finish off the tech part of the discussion did, did you get any sense from that letter that as tech says they're pulling back their application that they might resubmit once things get cleared I mean, that's a great question. I don't know. Um, I didn't have the sense from the letter, but obviously they're they're careful of what they publicly put in the letter. Yeah. I think they've they've opened the door for further discussion on what kind of environment do you have to create for these kinds of projects to be able to be approved for people to have enough confidence they could be approved if they meet all the criteria. Um, and and it's, it's interesting to note so that this whole thing with the federal cabinet deciding, uh, that's been around for a while, but the Liberals were criticized by some industry groups and, um, in fact, by the Alberta Premier when they brought that in because people said, look, if this is supposed to be a non-political process, then that should mean that if somebody passes all the bureaucratic lines, they get in. It's not then up to the federal cabinet to decide. Uh, the Liberals have sort of said, well, massive projects like this do have a political element, and therefore the cabinet gets to weigh in. Uh, but for some people, it had been criticized as creating uncertainty. And I think what happened with tech will probably amplify people who are making that argument, saying um, people won't want to apply because even if your project makes sense, uh, even if it's, if it's checked all of it, I'm not saying that tech did or didn't one way or the other. I'm not an expert on this, but, but there's always been that concern that having the political level make the final decision defeated some of the changes that were supposed to make for tougher environmental rules, better consultation, because you could have all of that, and at the end of the day, you still could get it out. Let's go back to the blockades, Mercedes, and since uh, the West Block last evening, we've uh, had kind of a, a big deal, a milestone as we passed that marker. Was it midnight um, Eastern time, at, uh, to, uh, Ontario time, that the blockades were supposed to be dismantled? Yeah, so by 11.59, and the deal was um, that, and this was made by the OPP and CN yesterday, who approached uh, a man who goes by his Mohawk name of Gat Naharilo. Uh, you've seen him on TV a lot. Uh, and, and he said, uh, and videoed, in fact, this whole interaction between himself and the OPP and CN of them saying, if you get off the tracks, if you remove all the debris, you can't be near the tracks either, because this is the other thing. Standing near the tracks stops trains from going through. Um, so you don't have to be standing across it, you know, with your arms joined to prevent a train. Can't be near the tracks, get off. Uh, you won't face any charges. Despite the fact that you've been out here for several weeks, nobody involved will be charged. But if you don't, Anyone who's still here after 11.59 p.m. is subject to charge. Uh, And I was told by two Mohawk sources that they believed enforcement would begin, well, now we just a few minutes ago, around 8 a.m. this morning. Uh, that police did not want to move it in the dark, and I had that from police sources as well. They're worried about somebody getting hurt. It's rural. It's pitch black at night. Uh, but that they were going to start moving in this morning. Now, last thing that I saw, uh, just after 6 a.m., the Mohawk put out a press release asking the OPP to hold off. 
saying that they are waiting for a call from Minister Mark Miller in the government, uh, who is the Minister of uh, Indigenous Services, to call them and confirm or provide some kind of proof that the RCMP are off Wet'suwet'en land. Now, here's sort of the, the key tricky part about that. The RCMP had agreed to get off the road in question that was very controversial and to leave what was essentially a forward command post in a house. Um, a government source had told me that they were trying to send documentation that demonstrated that. Okay. But the actual demand by the Wet'suwet'en chiefs and by the Mohawks is that they leave RCMP territory completely. Mm. And it didn't sound like that was on the table because there is no other police force there. Um, so we'll see if Minister Mark Miller uh, comes through and, and delivers that promise to them. It appears to be like they're trying to negotiate keeping the police off at least a little longer, and they say they're willing to leave peacefully if they get that. Uh, but they also say in the letter that they don't recognize, essentially, CN's authority or the OPP, yeah. because they say CN has rails going across their territory and has no authority to tell them to get out of the way. Well, we'll have to leave it uh, there for now, Mercedes, because it's going to be unfolding, I'm sure, during our show. So we appreciate your time and the update uh, this morning. Thanks for having me. Mercedes Stevenson, Global's Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Coming up to 849 on the morning news as Ontario police are enforcing a deadline to remove protesters from blocking rail lines in Ontario. We're also learning this morning that Tech Frontier has pulled uh, its application to build a $20 billion oil sands mining project. With more on both, uh, we're joined by Professor Dwayne Bratt of Mont Royal University. Uh, good morning, uh, Dwayne. Good morning. Well, you know, you've been uh, tweeting this morning early, and of course, I believe it was coming up nine, uh, well, oh, 11 hours ago at uh, midnight Ontario time. They were planning on enforcing, and uh, OPP on the scene with the uh, CN officials. It's happening as we speak. Uh, were you, are you surprised? Uh, it, it had to come to this, right? Uh, it was almost a sense of, you know, dialogue wasn't working. It was time to bring in the police. But they created the the support for that. Instead of rushing in early, they, they waited they were very deliberate. It's been largely uh, peaceful. Uh, there's been a handful of arrests, but but thankfully there is there is no violence. In your view, Dwayne, was that the right way to go about it? I, I think so. I, I know people wanted uh, action much quicker. Um, I think this was the use of, of force, in a sense, uh, as a last resort. But it's not over yet. I mean, um, if, if you look about our rail system, it's in very remote areas. And so while they were able to assemble police officers and, and deal with the uh, the blockade here, what's going to happen if another blockade is set up or sabotage on a, on a rail and, 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 and the like? This is still a very volatile situation, even if uh, the ones outside of Belleville, Ontario, and the ones in Quebec are, are being dismantled. Tech Frontier, obviously breaking uh, last night and into this morning, the big story. The Tech Frontier pulling out of the $20.6 billion oil sands mining project, saying and stating that the climate is not conducive at this point. Uh, do you believe it's climate, or could this be an economic uh, move? If, if, if a you good read excuse? Their, their letter, it, it was a very nuanced letter, and who knows how many people, communications, lawyers, executives uh, went through it. But they said what what is needed is a regulatory framework that balances energy development and climate change. They were supportive of pricing carbon. They were supportive of of an oil sands emissions cap. Uh, but they said that there's still uncertainty. Um, 
they did not mention the economic conditions. Uh, the CEO had previously said that unless oil was at $85 a barrel, that it was unproductive. So you can understand why tech pulled out. Instead of waiting for a government decision, which would have either been a rejection or more likely an approval with a whole series of conditions for something that wasn't going to get built in the next while, um, to simply wait, pull your application, and if in a heightened economic climate, then bring it in. Do you think they go somewhere more lucrative now? I don't know. I mean, this was, we keep talking about a $20 billion project, but they didn't actually have $20 billion. They needed to go out and raise those funds uh, to be able to do so. So uh, we'll have to see. I mean, tech is a mining company, much more than it is an oil and gas company. And they've got operations all around the, uh, the world in different sorts of mines, not necessarily oil sands mining. Thanks for joining us, Dwayne. Always love to your perspective. Okay, you're welcome. That's Dwayne Bratt, Mount Royal University political science prof. Calgary City Councillors continue debating the best course of action when it comes to councillors' spending expenses. It will be the hot topic on the agenda at City Council today. Joining us now is 770 CHQR reporter Aurelio Perry with an update on the latest. Good morning, Aurelio. Good morning, Sue. It's going to be a busy day at Council today. What, uh, what kind of fireworks should we expect? Well, unfortunately, this item that everybody's waiting for will likely be because it's urgent business, it gets put at the back end of the agenda. So an agenda is set, and things that they put on afterwards go to the back. So it may not even be today. It could even be tomorrow that they deal with it. It's the issue of expenses, and uh, particularly one of the things is looking at uh, the expenses of Councillor Joe Maglioka after the FCM expenses and after it came to light that he expensed the lunch with the Integrity Commissioner. So one of the motions is to do uh, an investigation of his expenses. And what's interesting, what's changed from a previous motion of about 10 days ago or less, is that they want to go back and look at his expenses all the way back to the start of this term, which was in October of 2017. So whether or not it's late today, Aurelio, or tomorrow, uh, this is expected to go through, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, Andrew, because you've got uh, uh, the majority, the vast majority of them have signed on to this, uh, a unity being shown. I mean, they came out from uh, behind closed doors last week and said um, that the mayor was the one who was going to speak publicly. They'd have a unified voice on going forward on speaking on this. There could be some... A little bit of debate as they talk about the issues and why they feel this is necessary. Also, part of this is uh, looking at a different governance model on how they deal with expenses. Currently, expenses uh, get approved by a councillor uh, coordinating committee, and it's basically uh, council members approving expenses of other council members. Mm. So they're looking at, is there a better way to have a system of how these expenses are dealt with? It, it seems kind of funny, doesn't it, that the urgent items come last. It's sort of a, a great, uh, you know, discussion about how this council has been operating as of late. But, uh, yeah, yeah it, it's kind of funny. But what else is happening? I mean, obviously, that's the big thing. We'll see it either today or tomorrow, Aurelio, as you said. But are there other items that are of importance that we'll see at council this week? Well, related to the uh, related to the expenses, Councillor Farkas and Chu are trying to do a forensic audit of all councillor expenses. So while the focus has been on Joe McLeoka, they want to take a look at everybody's expenses from uh, 2017, October, from Election Day. There's been no 
indications that other things have happened there. Uh, later this week, there's a transportation committee meeting, and they're going to look at writing bylaws to bring in an app where you can pay for your transit fees on an app on your phone. Mm-hmm. Then you can scan it, uh, validate it on a bus by putting your phone to it or uh, just before you get onto the train. And then I guess the peace officers will have some device that validates your ticket. So that's looking at uh, moving into the modern century. They initially, years ago, were going to come up with a card, but it's a good thing they didn't because technology has moved so quickly mm-hmm. that probably an app-based uh, solution is best. And back to the, uh, you know, uh, Councillor Farkas and Councillor Chu coming forward saying it should be a full sweep. Uh, what has response uh, been by other councillors to that uh, potential for? Because to me, it makes sense. Like, if you're going to dig down on one, dig down on um, everybody, I would think. Uh, the only thing is is that there's no indication that anything else has arrived because councillors put in these expenses and they're online. You can check mm-hmm. them online and you can take a look at all these expenses and what people have spent throughout the year. You can go back to 2017. Uh, I think nobody, no one said, no, don't do it. Mm-hmm. It's, the concern is how much are we going to spend if you're going to bring in uh, a forensic audit, you're bringing in high-priced accountants to go through 15 people. Uh, the cost of doing that will be enormous, they say. Yeah, kind of a catch-22, isn't it? Because the councillors don't want to look like they have anything to hide by saying, no, let's not do this. You know, we're an open book. Nobody has anything to hide, so go ahead and look. But at the same time, there's no evidence of anything being a problem. So, you know, more money being, you know, shot out the door for no reason. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're dealing with high-priced help and... Uh, you got to put out a request for proposal, get a firm to take a look at this. And uh, that's the thing. If you're spending all this money, what are you going to get out of it? I guess peace of mind for taxpayers, but, you know, the way the world is now, even if you get something and you put it out, some people will say, well, no, they milked it. It's not there. There's something else there. You know, people won't believe it, right? Well, we'll uh, wait for your report tomorrow. I know you'll be uh, down at City Hall, at City Council, as you always are. So thanks for joining us this morning, Aurelio. You're welcome, guys. 770-CHQR reporter Aurelio Perry. 910 on the morning news. So you bought a new bed. It looks great in your bedroom. But uh, now what do you do with your old mattress? Up until a few short years ago, if your mattress wasn't in good enough shape to reuse in another room or sell secondhand, the only other option was to throw it out. And that was until an innovative Calgary company was born. Now there's an option. Joining us now is Sean Cable, co-owner of Remat, to tell us about his operation. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, guys. So where did the idea for Remat come from? Uh, well, I was back in school after working in oil and gas for a few years and ended up doing a tour of the Sears distribution warehouse and sort of learned about the the problem they were having with uh, getting rid of mattresses after they do like a buyback program and things like that. We can sleep on it for 60 days. You don't like it. Well, then what do you do with it? Because it's not exactly an item you can move on to somebody else mm-hmm. after it's been in someone's home. So um, I did some research, found out that there were some people in uh, Vancouver doing it and having some success. So I thought it was a pretty cool idea to be able to try here in Calgary and uh, even reaching out to different parts of Alberta. So how does it work right now? Right now, you know, you drop your, your mattress off at the landfill. It's going to be there for a long time before anything happens to it. What do you do when you get a hold of these mattresses? Yeah, so we work with the different retailers, uh, Sleep Country, Ikea, different people like that, so that when you do buy a new mattress and you want your old one taken away, um, it eventually then will get consulted 
consolidated at their warehouses brought to us. Also, we're diverting at different landfill sites in Airdrie, Strathmore, Banff. So if somebody brings one in there, then it eventually comes to us. Once we get it, we take it apart and uh, divide up all the different materials so they can be reused. So that we crush the steel on site. We take the, we bale the foam and textile materials, cardboard, plastic. Uh, the wood gets uh, brought to a local 100%. company. We're about 95, so oh, we can awesome. basically take uh, about 25 to 30 mattresses, so the pr- footprint of that, and turn it into about the size of a small bale of hay, let's call it, mm. just to Incredible. make it an easy that's visual. Awesome. Yeah, which is also the material that's very easy to decompose, as opposed to mattresses with all the different multi ones, and you're basically you know, burying air when you're burying a mattress with springs, and it's hard for them to really get it underground mm-hmm. and things like that at the landfill site, So, and takes decades to do it in that form. You mentioned a lot of uh, major companies uh, that you did you work with and a lot of communities, towns and cities around the city of Calgary, but you don't mention the city of Calgary yet. That's something that's in the works and I, uh, other cities do have a process, a contract with companies like yours? Yeah, so currently the city of Vancouver has a multiple of, of people doing it because of the population base. Edmonton's doing it, Winnipeg, Toronto, Montreal has different uh, legislation, so we're really hoping. I know the city has had other things on their plates uh, with recycling, you know, blue carts and uh, and the green bins and composting and all that stuff was sort of when we first got started. But we're hoping that now this is going to be on their forefront and 2020 will be the year that we can get behind it and divert 100% of all the mattresses that are being, you know, getting rid of in, in the city because it seems a shame to me that we can prove this process works and we're still letting mattresses go into the landfill. So at this point, someone has to track you down and get the mattress to you. What would you ultimately like to see just like a drop off point at any one of the dumps? Yeah, I mean, essentially the same as all they do with fridges, stoves and other items that can be recycled. Uh, We'd love to put an area there where somebody comes in with a mattress, it goes into a sea can or trailer. Once it's full, it comes to us and then we can do our part. So seems so simple, doesn't it? Well, that's what we think, but we're (laughs) hoping that sort of it can make sense to the powers that be that makes these decisions and uh, and we can really take effect of what we're what we're doing. And you've had success, a milestone celebrated uh, doing things the way you've been doing it without a a city partner, uh, essentially. Tell us about this milestone. Yeah, so tomorrow will be our 150,000th mattress that we've recycled and the five going into our sixth year of, of doing this. So we're pretty excited about that. I think it's a pretty big achievement. And to, you know, put that into context, we've basically saved about four times McMahon Stadium from uh, from being put into our landfill. So the impact that must have and uh, sort of the adding the longevity to what mattress, you know, the landfill sites mm-hmm. can do too. So we also see that bonus to it as well, that it's a long site. If we get an extra two, three years out of a landfill, the savings on the city would be huge in that regard as well. That's awesome. Congratulations, because that's a great milestone. I mean, you, you know, mattresses just rotting in a dump mm-hmm. seems so foolish when you found a way to recycle it and make something good out of it. Yeah, so I mean, it's just in this day and age, we're trying to do what we can, especially in our province where it's mm-hmm. a little sensitive on the environmental side to doing things that we can. And uh, we weren't really sure what we were doing at the beginning, but we have proven our concept and we've automated it to a point now where we've come a long way in those five years. And we've also looked for other items too. So we're also doing car seats now as well. So they have some similar items that come out of the mattresses that we can sort of fall in line with uh, those materials that are car seats. So we can also take those uh, you can drop them off at our warehouse as well. And uh, we take those apart and save them from being put in landfill too. And the name of the company is Remat. Your name is Sean Cable. Who's your partner? <laughs> Ian Gregory. Okay, so, but the name Sean Cable, people might recognize it. And you mentioned oil and gas to Remat. 
before your oil and gas career. They might recognize you as a very successful Calgary Roughneck. Nine years professional, right? Uh, six with the Roughnecks? Yeah. So Four. back back then, did you have any idea <laughs> that a handful of years later you'd be doing this for a living? Not even close, no. I mean, I'm still doing sort of what I... I mean, I went to school for business and sports management, and I am working with the Roughnecks now as an assistant coach okay. doing the video work. So there is that side of me that's still sort of staying in the sports world, but uh, mattress recycling was not where I thought I was going to yeah, end up at this point in my life. So, yeah, <laughs> that big really swing is. for sure. But it's working for you, and you know, good on you for seeing something that was working elsewhere and bringing it to the city of Calgary and sticking with it, even though sometimes it can be difficult to cut through all the red tape. Yeah, thanks. I mean, and the entrepreneurial side of it, I love. And I mean, that's been sort of a part of who I am. And, uh, you know, being able to work for yourself and run your own business and things is, is exciting too. So, you know, the challenges that come along with it is uh, other than, you know, working for somebody else. But, uh, you know, I think we've done a good job to this point. But we're hoping now that it's going to sort of take that boost to the next level. Well, fingers crossed. What a success story. And uh, if I'm an individual, can I go to re-mat.com yep. and figure out how to drop it off for your facility? Yeah, and I'll also add that we do uh, pick it up too, so oh, we can come okay, right good. to your house. And if you don't have, you know, not everybody has a truck or mm-hmm. whatever. And so if we want, uh, we can come right to your house and, and pick it up and, and help you that way too. I love it. So re-mat.com and you guys will pick up. We can drop off yep. and we can save these things from just sitting at the top of the landfill heap. Absolutely. Brilliant. Sean Cable, congratulations, 150,000 mattresses recycled in five years, re-mat.com. 619 on the morning news, and I always love it when I can use a new word that I've learned, Mm -hmm. (laughs) such as, and it's one of the cool kid words, e-bug, and it's not an electronic bug. Like, you know, one of those uh, kids' nope. toys. E-bug is different. Emergency backup goaltender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was the story of the weekend, for oh, sure. It, hey? it was. <laughs> you, almost, you almost feel for Alexander Ovechkin. The guy gets the 700 goals. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's great, Alex, but we got this 42-year-old Zamboni driver over here. Did he actually hit 700? Because I didn't 700. even hear that once yeah. this weekend. Yeah, not once. Yeah, he got, yeah, he got the 700 on, so uh, on, on Saturday night. Uh, I want to talk about that more a little bit later, but i got to talk about David Ayers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the best part about this was the first shot they had when it looked like he might have to come in. They had a shot, uh, you know, of the uh, the Carolina equipment guys. They were doing up a jersey for him, and they'd spelled A-Y-E-R-S and crossed it out and put, you know, A-Y. <laughs> you know, that would have been, how bad would that be? You yeah. go in, it's like you're living your dream and your name spelled wrong. Kind <laughs> well, of and I wonder how much uh, from him arriving at the arena to do a Zamboni thing or whatever it might be, well, he's to getting in, the call. Was it an hour into the game or? He was, well, it was in, it was in the, uh, it was in the first period okay. when James, uh, James Reimer went down. Uh, and, you know, so uh, backup goaltender goes in and he's the, he's the emergency backup goalie. The, the NHL has them in the building. He didn't think a whole lot about it at first. Been, uh, I've had to get down and get dressed four times now and every single time you just look at it oh, i'm gonna get half dressed watch the game here and i'm gonna go home and sure enough it's uh comes last night and i gotta get dressed and that was uh, a little bit of a shock but who wouldn't want to do it right <laughs> who so wouldn't? first goalie gets hurt they call that's when they call in the yeah. emergency goalie and just dress him and put him yeah, on the bench he just said well he doesn't even go on the bench he oh, just okay. sort of like you said air says i've done this before i get half, I get half yeah. my stuff on and then uh, what happened is you know the least player ran into carolina's goalie and you could tell right away it uh, did not look all that good and so they said you better get your stuff on, son. <laughs> you're, Somebody you're lays up his skates for him. And yeah, and and uh, he he got out there and gave up two goals on two shots, and he's just thinking this is going to be horrible. I think actually after the second goal, I looked up and I was like, oh please, like make a save here. But that's <laughs> when I kind of soaked it all in, and I I'm like, okay, just calm down, relax, breathe, look around. 
and uh, just have fun with it. So that's when I kind of noticed after the second goal and I had to bear down. And uh, thanks Sportsnet uh, for the clips, by the way. And then after the game, it was funny because, uh, of course, Ayers goes in. Everyone's laughing. The crowd's going nuts. The players are all, ah, just have fun, buddy. We don't care if you give up 10 goals. They cut to a shot of Carolina coach Rod Brindamore on the bench. Looks like he's going to oh, puke. Furious. He's just like, yeah. oh, this is going to be so bad. But afterwards, he had a great speech about what it all meant. It's not often in the game that you get time to talk about great memory. That's why you do this. You'll see when you're done. You'll go back. You'll look back. All you have is the memories that you got. You guys just gave me one. Okay, you gave each other one, but that's the memory that I'm going to have forever. The way you guys played that third period for you, okay? awesome. and the way you played for us. You play a lot of games, not many of them are going to be like that.